this year has been interesting. I uh, I kind of got to a point where I felt like if keeping up the the professional side of this was up to me, it would just stop. Because um, it's more than just answering emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Most basically, like, I just never knew how much money to ask for. Mm. Um, which, you know, I don't care that much, but... It, w- it just made it so that if, if something was at a certain level of complexity, I would just stop answering and just stop, you know, just give up on it. Um, <clears throat> so signing with an agency, which I did last March, felt like sort of this experimental way of addressing that problem more than it felt like a business choice. Yeah. Just like, you know, I mean, should surprise nobody that I've been walking in circles for 10 years, 20 years. Um, and as much as I could continue to do that and, and miss it when I don't do it, it did get to the point where I was like, is this all I'm going to do? Yeah. Um, and so I felt like I needed to force, you know, like hire somebody basically to force me out of my, what had become a comfort zone. Okay. Um, you know, like it's not necessarily comfortable, but I'm comfortable there. Um, so yeah, so I've had this year of, um, much easier access to a different kind of working and, uh, a very much less comfortable version of discomfort. Um, yeah. And it's been interesting. I was saying that, you know, retroactively, like in the past month or so, I've, as I think and talk about it, it, it really feels like I found, uh, I accidentally found a way to turn commercial work into an art project, um, because really, it it was it was consciously an experiment with uh, with being uncomfortable and with um, just like forcing myself in new directions. Um, it's a lot different than being out on your own taking pictures. Well, yeah, it is. But, Even if you're still there. But there's something about kind of manipulating the intentions, where if the intention isn't you know, do something heroic and make a bunch of money or like be professional and impress a new crowd. Um, there is something about the panic in that situation, like the inevitable, I don't know how anybody else experiences it, but for me, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. And that fear, uh, I find so useful and it's so familiar after all these years of confronting it in other ways. Um, so yeah, it was like this really pleasant surprise, uh, this like successful way of kind of rediscovering the problem, mm-hmm. and um, right because it's like the you're in the middle of it anxiety. Yeah, it's time to go. Yeah, and how are exactly. you going to go? Yeah, it's this thing that I've been noticing throughout. You know, in the various stages of like of working for hire, where the problem of like the immediacy of the problem of a job puts me in this state of mind where I mean I've said it a million times now forgive me for repeating myself but the sort of the fear factor makes my intellectual brain unavailable to me okay um, in a way that is ideal because I've you know worked my way to a place where ideas can just be mortifying like I don't want I don't want to work from ideas I don't (laughs) want to execute a, a vision as you know, people who can do that, great. For me, it's very... I don't like it. Um, right. And so, your visual <laughs> reflexes kick in. Yeah, right. 
yeah, it's this great thing where uh, you know you find out you find out what happened in that room two days later when you get the film back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it kind of continues to scratch that very, for me, addictive itch of of surprising myself. Um, which, you know, comes more naturally wandering around on the street and seeing what you can get away with. Um, right. I wonder if that, that fire has burned out a little bit. Yeah. Or it's not, it doesn't create the same anxiety in you or the impetus to the immediacy to be able to make things. Right. Well, I mean, to keep it in, in classic addiction terms, it's like <laughs> the itch is still there. Right. Yeah. But it just doesn't scratch it like it used to. Right. Um, you know, there are still yeah. those instances where, where something sneaks up on you and, you know, there's enough of a miracle that you have to go out the next day and try again. Um, but photography definitely is compulsion on many levels. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A sickness for sure. Um, and then yeah. when you get the momentum, you feed it Uh huh. and the success almost feeds it, which like justifies a whole other level of sort of control you have to exercise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, success is an interesting longer conversation. I think success, momentum. Could you yeah, say? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, momentum is great. I mean, I I think that my experience of momentum is more like, you know, there's there's certain observable benefits to working obsessively. Like if you can go out and make work every day for an extended period of time, it puts you in a position to have something new to look at every night. Good um, point. And you can kind of like not exactly measure success, but like you can, I don't know. There's some, there, I think there can be something about shooting film. If enough time goes between shooting a picture and seeing a picture where you kind of lose a bit of the leverage for, uh, education. Yeah, totally. Um, Cause you don't really remember how you shot it. Yeah. And you've thinking about the last thing you shot. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I really being in the thick of it is, is useful. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, to go back, so I know you're a big music guy because you came here 2003, and then like for 10 years you were writing about music, a music journalist. And um, like when we met at Dash, we were talking about the documentary about other music. So, are you also a big vinyl guy? Are you analog in that way as well? I had a period. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and got to the point where uh, the the I don't know. I think that anybody who gets deep into this has has a a collecting issue right <laughs> across the board and yeah. there are other collections that have uh flourished as others you know kind of wane but yeah the vinyl thing uh i did that for a while and then it it just like it ran up against the new york problem of, oh okay of space space yeah. and mobility and you know i was in a position where i was starting to think about moving out of a place where i'd been for a long time and in that moment, the, the like the visible accumulation right. <laughs> start to really, yeah. Like, I call that the burden. Yeah, the negatives moving the <laughs> negatives around. Yeah. You must have so many negatives, and now you've like doubled it with vinyl. Oh my god, yeah. There was it just couldn't happen anymore. And so I have a friend who had a great little cabin in the Catskills, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to send you guys to a better place. <laughs> um, and I just moved the whole collection into somebody else's life and never looked back. Yeah. Don't even have a record player anymore. Oh, okay. Well, you know, the reason I asked was because like analog and in, in music and then analog and photography, I was just wondering if, if that's always been something you were attracted to, like the analog process or hmm. 
just the, the result of analog. If, you weren't making music, but you were listening to, to vinyl, obviously. What if Dan said he really liked cassette tapes? Yeah. <laughs> that have thrown you off. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. aesthetic. No, uh, <clears throat> no, I don't think that, at least for me, that the two are connected. Okay. Like the the film thing, I don't know. I don't want to lie to you, and I haven't put that much thought into this, at least recently. Um, it didn't ever start as, as some like Luddite impulse. Okay. It was, it was, I don't know, I guess in the very beginning, it was aesthetic and experimental. And then I just found through kind of going back and forth and, and tinkering that it really, it just suited my way of working much better than digital did. Got it. Um, and there's also some psychological thing that I, I couldn't, you know, intelligently, uh, articulate to you, but I don't know. There's, there's an attachment to what happens on film that I just don't feel with digital. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's like the increased odds or, you know, whatever. The physical manifestation of that moment. Yeah. Something about it. And Tied something to about... to you for the rest of your life, a.k.a. the burden? Yeah, the burden. <laughs> but also, you know, th- the fact that, you know, walking down the street, I can't check. Yeah, I can't right. I can see how I'm doing. I can't, you know, yeah. find out if I got it or not and try again. It, I think it, uh, it enforces this sort of... I don't know, this forward motion, this, you know, keeps your interest in what's ahead of you and not what you've already done. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think that th- it was that, that was the hook much more than any kind of like um, technological decision. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like scientific in that way. It's like gather the research and examine it later. Yeah. Which yeah, digital really like kind of screws with that metaphor, but. Yeah. Well, I know um, the book locals that was like photographs of people on the subway really cool photos and that was done back when you you were using the iphone at the time right yeah and then i know uh i I saw in an interview you said like for uh like your mom got you a hewlett packard (laughs) slr digital but did you really get any use out of that was there ever a moment where you thought you know what i might do this with a digital camera or was it straight from iPhone to a film camera. Well, no, there were there was always uh, interest in in going beyond the phone. I mean, it's funny. So much of my like my gear life is is informed by the fact that I never knew anything. I came from such total darkness, from absolute ignorance. Like that that Hewlett Packard. I don't even remember anything about that camera, but the, I think the one I got next, I think I got um, either a Rebel okay. or a 40D maybe. Hmm. Just like I would talk to somebody who was using one. They'd be like, oh, you should get this camera. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, those <laughs> were not exciting cameras to use. <laughs> no. They didn't feel like a camera. Felt mad hollow. Yeah, and gigantic. And, and one also, I had a 50 millimeter lens. It was the only lens I had. I didn't know about what different lenses did. I didn't know what the number meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought at at one point that that uh, the 
the effect of a 50 millimeter lens was very shallow focus was like very specific focus oh okay and that's only because i had it wide open and i didn't know what that meant and i didn't know what changing that would do um and so i really have have come from such blindness um did you geek out figuring it out a little bit no. Or just, right. I mean, I <laughs> just I jazz to take the pictures, experimenting yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like at some point, I had um, a zoom lens. I don't know which camera. Or, I mean, it was a long time ago. It was when I was still like camping out at the front of shows and hiding behind my camera, so I didn't feel like I didn't belong. Right. <laughs> and I would, you know, I would have it on auto and notice that in the dark, I would have these these long exposures, and it didn't go my way necessarily and so i would just crank the zoom lens back and forth as far as it went in both directions as many times as i could before the exposure ended and you know in a at a concert ideally with other people taking pictures using a flash i would get this great kind of uh i don't know these surprising images that weren't necessarily like something i'd want to show you um but were fun to take yeah, totally fun to take. And at that time, I felt—I mean, I, I said it, and I was—I was music brained in that moment. I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna say it wrong because I'm embarrassed to say it right. But I was like, I'm, I play my camera like a moog, huh. like I'm just like pulling yeah. cables and pushing them right. in and seeing what happens. And I, I had a very, you know, I was in that regard. It was, I think, really formative that I was working as a writer and that there was never any pressure. Yeah for my photos to be anything. It was purely for my own satisfaction, entertainment, whatever, um, survival. Uh, and it really evolved like that for such a long time. Like even to the point where I was starting to get hired. Like that was my, that was my point of view. That was where I was coming from. Um, I don't remember what I'm, what question I'm answering at this point. I, I did find that I had a hard time when I had a DSLR on me to not take iPhone photos. Oh, okay. Like I would still reach for the iPhone yeah. over it. Like I'd be like, uh, I, I put it in more like the film mm-hmm. capacity maybe and be like, I don't know if it's worth it. Or like it just became like, the iPhone just felt more immediate. Right, yeah. For like smaller things or walking around. And then like when everyone has something, it also makes it less obtrusive. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, when you, now that everyone takes iPhone photos, it's not like, nearly as obtrusive to take any photos right yeah, yeah sorry it's a tangent but. well I, actually i think a lot of people would be inspired hearing that you came out of like complete blindness you weren't some big tech guy who just automatically knew everything about film photography or you weren't geeking out on it and saying okay now that i'm doing film photography i'm gonna get this specific lens and this type of the most so, interesting yeah. photographers usually are not that technical, which is a huge blanket statement. <laughs> but yeah. I just feel like sometimes if you get married to the technical, you just get like handcuffed to it. And, yeah. and then it's like it becomes the whole thing. And then you get kind of bored with it because it's not about taking photos. It's more about like managing equipment and right, yeah. which is stimulating and a fun part of photography. But yeah. So with your, your first film cameras, was it like a Yashica T4 or T5? Yeah. And then um, I know you, you use the Context G2 with flash a lot. Yeah, that was where I went from. So I, I used the T4 or T5 for a long time um, and pretty quickly got frustrated by... <laughs> just, just one? Uh, yeah, it's a cute right. story. I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me and we had kind of 
co-developing interests in photography. And one day I got a mystery package in the mail with a yashica that she had found for two bucks at a thrift store in (laughs) Madison. (laughs) And with a little note that said, for a change in perspective. (laughs) Um, And so that was, it was like, all right, great, I'll do that. And at that point I was heavily using the phone and feeling like, I mean, it was a, it was a really kind of breakthrough moment where the phone gave me this sort of stealth am- anonymity that let me take pictures that had been happening in my head for ages, but I just never was able to take them. Um, and then, you know, I had this proof of concept and felt immediately like it wasn't good enough to get those pictures on the phone. And then I had to learn how to do it another way. Okay. So the Ashika was the first wave of doing that. And there are, I mean, there are few but some moments from that yashika period where it's like as good as i think i'll ever be okay um wait um why do you say that just because there's this unreplicatable naivety and appetite and openness and you know a lot of that a lot of the time most way more than not that meant that I made slop, disposable slop. But there are a few moments when I got lucky and it all came together and worked right, where it's like, I don't know, there's there's there are just a handful of pictures from that time that, you know, I can outdo myself technically now. Uh, but in terms of just like the raw spirit and intention of it kind of perfectly coming together. Um, how old were you and how many years had you been taking pictures at that point? I was probably <clears throat> early 30s. Okay. I think it was before I quit my job. So I was probably like 30, 31, 32 when I got that camera. Um, and used it till maybe I was like exclusively till like 34, 35 right. maybe. Um, yeah, and then it, you know, that coincided with leaving my job and dismantling my whole life in two conversations and yeah. um, having, you know, it's just so much going into that moment. Yeah. yeah. So much change and, and risk and um, fear and excitement and, um, you know, just one of those rare moments where you're like very conscious of having your hands on the wheel of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can... I could just ruin everything in a day. <laughs> I just I, I went from having a stable ten year career to having absolutely nothing promised in a day. Um, so exciting, yeah, it was really exciting, and it was really satisfying and 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 exciting to wander around and indulge that. And you know, quickly that Yashika started to really frustrate me because there was just no control. Yeah. And there were, you know, many occasions where I'd see something that felt essential to get. Right. And I had consent, control, and could point the camera right at the thing, and then I'd just get a smudgy nothing right. back. Sometimes um, it doesn't connect with focus, the Yashikas. Yeah. Or the, the, there's a lag in when it takes the photo. Yeah. There's so plenty of problems. I mean, it's great for a one-button piece of plastic, but <laughs> it did frustrate me. And then, you know... 
on a random tip from a friend who's like, hey, you should you should get a contacts. I was like, okay, I'll get a contacts. And so, you know, saved some money. And I think it was after I did that first print sale when I had a little bit of money for the first time in a few years. And I was like, okay, I should take this opportunity to upgrade. And moved to the contacts, which I happily used completely wrong for years. How and so? didn't even notice because a friend I got a bad tip or misunderstood a tip from a friend who said that if I kept the aperture at 11 and the focus at infinity that everything would be in focus mm. and you know it, at, at that point kind of patience and attention had not caught up to appetite and urgency and I just I just didn't have it in me at that point to do the back work of right, yeah. figuring out how to focus the camera as quickly as I needed to. Okay. Well, it derails the thought process sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the, the momentum energy that you want, too. Mm-hmm. And you, you you miss so much by stopping and worrying if you don't have it really yeah. dialed in. Um, so for years, I mean, including I th- at least one or two Met Galas and uh, lots of early work, just like everything is back-focused. Okay, um, and I didn't even notice because everything—I mean, almost everything—I was seeing on the phone, right? Because it's so small, you couldn't even really. Yeah, tell. Yeah, you can't even tell, right? And if, if it's sharp enough, yeah, yeah, right. And then I started having early gallery conversations that went nowhere because they—they look at the work and they blow it up and they'd be like, "Well, why isn't it in focus?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't—I didn't know. Oh, was it? Maybe there's okay. something wrong with your I scanner." I see. What, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then you didn't ask me this, but out of that came the Leica era, which we're still in, um, which I think is only interesting in that I was years into, you know, what has amounted to, for whoever it matters to, like a kind of a big story. Yeah. And I didn't, I did not know how to use a camera. (laughs) And I learned how to use a camera from the Leica. Okay. And, you know, I got to say, like, as we were saying before about how technical stuff often, you know, creates kind of a dead end. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, it has given me so much space to stay engaged and have this long, slow, self-directed education. But also, like, there are so many opportunities that I just completely blew. Okay. You know, like, unbelievable access. Where... I think from the outside, people would argue with me, but like I was at the Republican and Democratic National Conventions in 2016 using (laughs) a a digital Leica and I had no idea how to use it. And it's so frustrating now. Yeah. Because you know what you could have done if you, yeah. 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 You're probably still taking those photos in your head. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Dying to get back in a room that will never be again. Um, But also on the positive side, you know, have this, you know, this kind of slow, generous evolution where now there's a whole other kind of picture that I can take, and it keeps it keeps the the walking in circles, right? You know, as gratifying on some keeps level as it always was. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something new. I mean, like I, I cannot. I'm ashamed to even speculate how long it took me to even start thinking about light. Mm. And you know, uh, you fun. mean like. In front of you, or like creating your own light. Period. Okay. Just yeah. like I, I didn't, I didn't think about anything. 
I just thought about like that's a thing that I need to get in this rectangle. Right. <laughs> that's there's like a story here and I need to make proof of it or you know, I want to see what this looks like with a flash on it, which wasn't about light. It was like right, what does right. a flash do? Just getting yeah. just getting the the picture. Yeah. So now, you know, years into really getting comfortable with the Leica, um you know, there's there's still new thing. There, like suddenly, I'm much more interested in going out like six o'clock at night, and and instead of using daylight all day, like being forced into a position where my shutter's wide open and my, you know, I'm going to like a thirtieth of a second or something yeah. or less, and hold trying texture. like hell to hold still, yeah. <laughs> but like getting the smudginess and, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I I don't. I guess I don't have this conversation that much, so it's funny to hear it all coming out of my mouth. But it is—it's true. It's like um, the problem of not knowing anything, in a way, has kept things interesting for much longer than. Yeah. But at the same time, I—I I wasted so much time being just like a slop trash photographer. Uh, well, I think people would disagree with that. Well, that, yeah, that yeah, are I, know, I know. Big fans of yours. I mean, well, I, I want to stay on the transition from. Contacts G2 with the flash to the Leica, like was that, and, and also like, you know, with doing the type of photography you're doing in New York city, walking amongst crowds of people, when you're using a G2 with a flash or essentially announcing yourself that mm-hmm. you're being photographed, like this complete stranger. And so I was wondering, did the decision to go towards the Leica, was that part of it where you could be a little more stealth? It was not part of it going in I mean the way that that worked was I mean at this point I cannot imagine working the way that I used to I could could not do it I wouldn't get anything done I find it terrifying I don't know how I did it Um, so the way that that I mean basically throughout even when I was using the G2 every day if I went one day without using a flash in broad daylight on the street it would be like square one the next day. Oh, okay. It was such, uh, I mean, I guess momentum, uh, driven thing where, you know, I would, I would have a certain comfort level or a certain like forced disregard that I had to operate with. Um, or like decided I need these pictures. I, it doesn't matter what trouble I get into. Um, and the switch, I don't know the switch to the, like, uh, aside from, you know, wanting to be more precise. And, and, you know, throughout the years, several times having these kind of crossroads moments where I'd have the conversation with myself, like, if you are going to put this much psychotic time and effort into this, you should have the self-respect to learn how to do it properly. Um, So there was that. But also, I think, I might be wrong about this, but as I'm trying to remember it, I feel like I was looking... My my other photographer's education kind of happened the same way my photography education did. I wasn't working from, like, looking at other people's work and going out and trying to make my own version of it. I was just kind of, I don't know, it was just like this pure energetic thing. And then as I got deeper into it, you know, I'd become more interested in other people's stuff. And I think I was looking at Philip Lorca de Corsia. Okay. Um, 
and just being like well like that the heads like the the street portrait stuff no just just well i guess it was the street stuff i mean the one that i think of in particular is the the one with the guy who's fallen down in the street but okay. just generally there was this like sort of smooth cinematic elegance to what he was doing and i was like how in the hell is he doing that and i had no way of figuring it out technically right i, I think he l- literally put lights yeah different places in the street right oh really like pro photo strobe lights like wow. multiple places <laughs> like in hidden the in scaffolding yeah. or something wow. yeah which you know i've never gone there but i did have a day where my flash was broken and uh you know obviously i was very annoyed about that but i was like you know cross my fingers i'll try to do it anyway and it was mostly i think there was one photo from that day where it worked i remember the picture i was walking through washington square park and it was just like some bench was blasted with light and i got lucky and nailed the focus and i was like oh my god this is this is that other thing and it was just removing the flash it was just like Uh. taking out that artificial contrast and seeing things in that way and you know don't get me wrong i love a flash i still do uh i but i really only use it at work okay it's Um, it's a lot more waiting for the natural light yeah true but it also so enriches the game like it's not it's not i mean i'm not saying anything uh mind-blowing here but like it it adds this whole other level to yeah. it that you know doesn't necessarily i mean i wonder obviously in my like long conversation with insecurity i'm like i i wonder sometimes if the deeper i get into using the camera properly being interested in light thinking you know like my standards change what's an interesting picture changes and i don't know that it's better um especially because it coincides with uh you know now we're several years into really not showing much of my work anymore um especially the personal stuff i mostly just i don't know i got into this rhythm with it around 2020 like post george floyd where i felt really uncomfortable using instagram to draw attention to myself or to advertise myself um and then in that moment of you know still working intensely but not showing it, it this other thing kicked in where it's like I don't know, it became this sort of religious thing where I'm putting this much time and energy and, and meaning into something that only I see. Uh, and that kind of took on this weight of its own. And um, and it's great. I'm, I'm very happy to be working that way. But it does, I mean, it's interesting to to take the, the chorus out yeah. and not have anybody telling me if it's good or bad and just working for my own right. satisfaction again. Um you know, I guess I don't really care if it's better or worse because um, it's. Uh, I like. Working it doesn't this matter. Way. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the least of my worries. And if that was what I was thinking about, you know, I think that I'd get bored and be done. Yeah. Do you think that you'll end up like? Do you see these as being like in a book or in a project, or you're just gonna keep shooting <clears throat> and? I don't know. And look at it in the yeah, future. I don't know. I mean, I really. For one thing, have have always been so kind of addiction minded that anything backwards looking, anything like 
uh, any synthesis of, of old things into new messages. I don't know. It's always been really hard for me to kind of conjure the discipline long enough to do something like that because uh, I'm so much more interested in just ma- making more work. Um, it's the complication of being a photographer a little bit, too. Yeah. It's like if you're going to spend all the time making the work, it's going to be pretty hard to be able to edit the work yep. and print the work. Yeah. And the way that it's gone where, you know, there are, there are at this point eras of work that kind of define how I am thought of in the world. And now, whether anybody knows it or not, and it doesn't matter, but in my mind, like, I didn't know how to use a camera. Right, right. And so for that work to to kind of coexist with the work I'm doing now, I'm like, well, how am I going to, how do I make a book? I didn't know what I was doing. I still haven't made the work yet. Right. Um, so, Good place to be in. Yeah, you know, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to have all of this happen in the the just deafening saturation of Instagram and of New York photo world. And, you know, I begrudge nobody their ambition and their efforts. And, you know, there's obviously tons of people doing great stuff. Um, but to be in this kind of like rushing river of, of people with their books and their projects, um, it really... I don't know. It it really makes me feel like attached to a certain kind of purity of of process and of working and you know uh it's impossible to simulate that that outsider thing. Yeah. Uh, once you start thinking about it, you've stopped succeeding at it. Okay. Um, yeah. I think you so know, you you're, can't just be like I'm toiling away in the closet because that's the pure way to do it. And right, it's impure. But uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what what comes of all this work. I just feel like I don't know. Bottom line, like I've I discovered this crazy, so far boundless source of energy, <laughs> um, which is not something that I was aware of having for anything. Like I thought I was a lazy guy. Do you guy. think it's a New really? York thing? Do you feel New that? Helps. Do you feel that other places? If you travel and make work, I do. I do. Uh, but only big cities. No. Okay. No, I'm. I'm always grateful for something new to look at. I'm excited to go places that are unfamiliar or where I don't belong. Um, you know, I'm like I'm sure uh, plenty of people have the experience I take pictures in my dreams. It's like, it, it goes everywhere. I think New York, though, as a, as a formative engine of it, and cer- certainly as free education. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I can just walk out my door and start working every day, um, you know, as, as a sustainer of the addiction. Right. New York well, I mean, you're a, soldier, you're a soldier, too, though. I can't hand I can't handle that Manhattan energy on a constant basis. It yeah. just drains me, or I would need to sustain it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, that's interesting. But I, I'm born and raised in New York City too. Right. So, like, what part? East Village and Park Slope. Uh huh. So yeah, I don't know. It helps to be 43 coming up 44 any minute now and uh having had my kind of 
energetic, ambitious young guy in New York life and um, really having lost all interest in matching that that work energy with anything social. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I'm happy to get home and be done with it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like a more fruitful environment to put it in. Yeah, for sure. Actually, what you were talking about where now that you're not sharing your work as much on, you know, on social media and you're editing it, you're doing personal work and, and you're editing it, um, for yourself and you don't know exactly where it's going to go. But when you shoot so prolifically, cause do you shoot like three to five rolls a day or something around there? I wish. Oh, okay. I'm like <laughs> an older interview. One roll a day. Oh, okay. Okay. There's an interview. I mean, from, there are times. Yeah. Three to yeah, five. Yeah. I would, if, I mean, if I can shoot three to five, <laughs> I'm very happy to. I love right. as much as I can. I love to shoot, but uh, it's it gets hard okay. to be that prolific. But even still, I mean, shooting one roll a day and you're going out all the time, that is still prolific. So my question is, like, what is your editing routine? Is it very regimented or is it just part of the ritual of shooting? Yeah, it's just, I mean, I keep going back to it, but it really, it's it's kind of the the anchor I think of the addiction. Okay. Like much more than being out and being uncomfortable and seeing what the world has to offer today. I think that the the like the most significant hook is having something new new to look at at night. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot there I I I could pick apart the psychology of it forever, but I think for one thing, there's this just kind of perpetually interesting game of uh, of like proving to yourself that you can still do a thing. Yeah. Word. Um, and, you know, like, <clears throat> I think that's a big part of, of the daily, the daily thing is like, I don't know, like this, the story of me has gotten so has gotten out of control beyond my expectation of, of what a thing can be. And not to, you know, uh, say that it's anything so spectacular. It's just like beyond what I ever would have imagined for yeah. it. And so, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not like checking in to see if I'm worthy of that story, but I don't know. And this is a great way. Recently I have noticed that I've so separated from the story that I can kind of hide behind it. I don't have to contribute to it anymore. Like it, it just is out there. They have my name backwards, but it's, it, <laughs> dude, it's a good level to be on. It's so great. You've garnished enough attention than that. You can do whatever you want in a certain regard. Yeah, and stay in the background and yeah. be insecure yeah. and be yeah. humble. And there'll and, be a responsibility towards things that you've contributed to, which will always kind of have that pull for you a little bit too. Well, always is a big word, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see Good. how long it carries me. I, I have a question. Um, are you? Do you wait until you have a hundred rolls or fifty rolls drop off, oh, or are you usually like you're like I'm going to go weekly, or I know I'm walking that way, or it's just like arbitrary a little bit. Like it's every day. Okay. Oh, you're dropping off film every day. Yeah. Is your lab? You drop off film every day, huh, Dan? Well, I mean, if I don't have it, I don't right. get to drop it. But if I, <laughs> right, ha- I mean, if I have an, a, a finished roll in my pocket, right, right. keep like it my moving. My only objective in the world is to get it 
turned in right. to yeah. like, and to see it right. as soon as possible. Well, there's a, somewhat of an anxiety with film too, to being like, if I don't get it developed, <laughs> like it may not exist or like yeah. it could get stolen or I could lose it or, yeah. you know, expose it to some radiation or some magnets or something. Yep. Anything could go wrong. Could fall out of your pocket. Do you, does your lab love you? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> we have a good relationship. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, you were talking about, you know, you're, you're doing things your way and it's part of the process. And Stephen was just saying it's a great place to be because you can do what you want. So with your editorial and commercial work, it still has that your signature to it. So I'm wondering when, when people reach out, are they saying, all right, we want you to just do exactly what you do? Or are there times where Good they question. might reach out and want you to adjust your style to the way they normally do things. Um, well, hopefully none of them will listen to this. Um, <laughs> you don't have to name names, but I mean, there's, there's <laughs> name names. There are there are several roads that end up going basically to the same place. Mm. I've been very lucky, kind of from the beginning, just because I like showed up with a thing. Yeah. A lot, of, most of the time from the beginning, I was getting hired because somebody had seen right. the work that I was doing on my own. Or like, bring that to our room. Um, you know, there have been terrible exceptions to that where, you know, someone decides, someone hires me under the premise of, we want you to do your thing. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's go scout some walls to shoot portraits again. <laughs> and then I'm shooting like headshots right. with smiling eye contact and, you know, nothing wrong with that, but I'm just, well, nothing wrong with it, except that I'm not good at it. Um, now, now for the most part, you know, I get hired, I'm like a brand, I get hired to do the thing that I do. You know, it, there are some clients who are more, I don't know, more like vision driven, and who will give me something more specific, or try to steer me in a certain direction. Um, <clears throat> there's some fun to that collaboration though. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. But the, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just like swaggery and full of shit, but I really, my experience of that is that again, the, the, the guy who knows nothing is still lurking there in the back of my head. Hmm. And to some extent, I do the thing that I do because it's the thing that I know how to right, do. Right, right, yeah. And I don't have that education in other directions. Right. And so very often I go in and I'll get like a shot list or a creative brief and I'll look at it and smile and nod and not absorb it and throw it away. Right, yeah. And just, I mean, really my my professional, my very unprofessional way of approaching professional work is is just like that survival game of like how do i keep up appearances make all these new people in this room you know like me to some degree trust me feel like they are contributing um feel like they're comfortable you know i i, I sort of like default to this super host mode and the very last shred it's of a hard brain, to make pictures in the middle during yeah, all that for sure for sure and thank God I've spent so much time doing it that there, like that last little shred of my available brain can still summon enough muscle memory to be like, there's the, there it is. Yeah. There it is. And, uh, and you know, overshoot a little to try to compensate mm -hmm. for that. Right. Um, 
But yeah, it's a very different world when you get thrown into that circus. Well, one of the things that really impressed me about the Met Gala photos is that in that environment, they were still like your photos, like it still had that signature style. So I was wondering how did that environment allow you to still do your, your thing? And was, was that with like what the context G2? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lately I've switched over to doing it with a Leica a bit. Okay. Um, I was slow to do that because, you know, I don't know. Yeah, don't let the autofocus go. Yeah, let the autofocus go. Mm. Although autofocus in the dark is no picnic. Right, right, especially um, with the contacts. Yeah. Right. It was more a matter of... It's like sonar autofocus or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's, it does not work very well. Um, but flash in general is still a totally murky, unknown frontier for me. I have a TLA 200 that worked great on my contacts, and I just put it on the Leica. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on the hot shoe, that is very unpredictable. Yeah. Um, taking it off the camera, it's a bit more forgiving, just because it's not just like a blast of baseball bat light. Um, it's an intense flash. When it does not TTL, flash. it is a very intense yeah. flash. Yeah, and this camera doesn't know how to talk to it, so um, I'm pointing at the Leica. Yeah, like M6. Um, yeah, but once yeah. it's off the contacts and doesn't have that like digital connection, it's it's like F22 at like ISO yeah, 100 it's just like an from like 10 feet away every time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the 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 Met Gala answer is the same as all of them. Like, there was no calculation. There was no like assessment of an issue like how am I going to make this mine? It was just like how am I going to get to the end of this and not not humiliate myself. Okay. But it sounds like an environment that you would thrive in. For sure. Maybe not like in the fanciness of it, but like, you know, there's shit going on. No, Got to yeah. get the picture. There's important people. Yeah. Yeah. No, the chaos plus the fact that every face is so loaded with context. Right, right, right. right. For making stories, right. it's just so fun. Yeah. And that's it. I'm like, I guess I'm kind of basing every aspect of this conversation from the anxiety side of things. The other, I mean, the sort of redemption of all that is it's... It's very fun. Yeah. I always forget to think of that and to talk about it. But like, I mean, the Mechel is is such a fun problem to have, right? Um, right, because like street photography, you like shoot a group of people, and you're like, oh, that person in the background made that photo, yeah. And like, oh, it's got a mustache; they're wearing something red, like. But then with the Mechel, it's like, well, that's Steve Buscemi, yeah, or like everybody, you means know. Something. So it's like, it's interesting. Yeah. So I was wondering, like. You were talking about, um, you know, your your process and maybe where the photos that you're editing now might go. But what was the the process like on um, your book that came out a couple of years ago, Pickpocket, which is with Alara, correct? Yeah. yeah. You mean the the editing process? Yeah, just or just like making that book. Like it's a monograph, and so like 578 images, and just oh. did photos. they work with you? Did they work with you on the edit? Um. So the way that one went, it was 2020. They're obviously uh, mostly in the movie business. And they couldn't work. And we'd all been buddies for a while, just kind of like mutual admiration of of each other's work. And had talked, uh, you know, over the years about a bunch of harebrained ways of collaborating. Like in the beginning, Josh Safdie had this idea that... um, 
he had a friend who was a police sketch artist and he wanted to do something where like I describe a picture to the, to the sketch artist <laughs> and do a show where like they hang side by side with the pictures or, ah, you know, there were, there were a lot of, of kind of, uh, ideas along the way. But then all of a sudden there's this great juicy window where everybody has a bunch of free time and well, everybody except for me, because it was, you know, a crazy, uh, once in a lifetime moment in the city. And I just wanted to work all day. Right. And I, I mean, I, that project has a lot of layers to it. Like on the top, there's a great, beautiful, sexy designy book that I never could have made myself. Um, that is a monograph with 500 some pictures. I don't even know the numbers. Um, but I mean that I, I, I didn't really touch that edit. Oh, okay. I mean, we had talked loosely conceptually about, about where, like what the book should do Mm -hmm. in my mind. I did an edit of maybe 3000 photos or something, an absurd (laughs) number of photos and my filter was just like, where do our worlds intersect? Like, they do this very specific New York thing, and I do this specific New York thing, and they're different, but there's some middle ground. And so I looked for that middle ground of, like, kind of cinema with personality, with uh, individuality, with characters. Um, and I just, you know, did a pretty superficial giant edit and it took me a long time like the conversation must have started pre-2020 because I feel like it took me a year to get that edit together anyways I give them this giant edit and as I feel with many things like that I figured I'd hand it over and just never hear from them again Um, and like two days later Josh says I have an edit wow what And so he shares it with me. And there was a lot in his... I mean, first of all, everybody should be so lucky to have someone like that decide what their work is. I felt, you know, from the beginning, before there was any concept or even like the idea of a book, just the idea of kind of cross-pollinating those creative worlds was, you know, an obvious yes to me. To, To get to have my New York kind of cross-pollinate with theirs was very exciting and I was very lucky to have his eye on it and so he gave me this edit and there was you know there was a lot of it where I was like really excited and there but there was also a lot of it where I was like you know it's it's always really surprising and kind of unsettling what somebody else makes of your work like yeah. there's there's so much you're disappointed sometimes in their selections yeah not even not even disappointed just kind of like confused like this <laughs> right this i i didn't even know that this was my work like obviously i put it in the original edit but it, i never expected that it would be like right. take this prominence on and so i pushed back a little bit and i was like look there's a lot of stuff that's really great here there are a few places where i feel like it's kind of you know not feeling like mine and he took those notes and was like well you know i can see what you mean on a couple of those but Mostly, uh, I can't really stand to lose these. Hmm. And in that moment, I was like, do I have a fit? 
I mean, I, I don't have a fit in me for one thing. I'm not a fit guy. I'm like pretty diplomatic. And also like what, what, like, how much is, pushback are you going to give on it? Right. And, and also is there a, a more luxurious position in the world than having this like big star visionary movie director saying, I'm more invested in your edit than you are. Hmm. And, you know, in that moment, I was like, I'm sure there will be opportunities down the line where I'm working with, you know, a publisher or something where where it makes sense for me to really have a hard line about my story being told my way. And this just feels like so much more interesting as a hands-off, as a collaboration. Like, let this thing have its own life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it didn't hurt that... I was much more interested in shooting the city with nobody in it. Right. Um, and just by miracles of, of timing and whatever goodwill there is for you in the world, I was able to really just say, yeah, go for it and hand it off and have them have meetings every week and have this big invested, very talented group of people kind of putting all their time in it for free while I went and made other work. Um, and you know, I would, we would check back in. Obviously there was, you know, I still had authority if I wanted it, but for the most part, I let it go. Um, and then had this really surprisingly cathartic and, uh, I don't know, sort of expansive experience of writing captions, Oh, okay. <laughs> which was something that I, th you know, when it was proposed, I was like, I don't do that. <laughs> Like my whole, th I arrived in this world saying when to say nothing. Like I don't. Right. These things are what they are because you don't talk. But then to get right. to, you didn't become a photographer to become a writer again. Right. No, yeah. I, I did it to stop being a writer. <laughs> right. um, but having that opportunity to give it that that kind of optional backbone hidden in in the appendix with tiny print. Um, really brought it around to you know any alienation that I felt from the process or from relinquishing control completely undone by that move it was like such a reclamation and really felt like intimate and personal and mine mm. and um and like confessional and over the top with my stupid personality and right because you get to choose what you want to want to include and what personal information or details, right? Yeah. And go off on whatever manic tangent. Like I, I wrote the bulk of it the night of the, the 2020 presidential election wow. where like the, the votes are coming in. And I had this, this whole freak out that got taken out because Josh thought it was too much, but about how, like, how can I possibly be interested in giving you mundane details of the past when like mm -hmm. you know so much more about the world no matter when you're reading this than I'll ever know and right, this whole time travel thing I don't know I got really manic and that and sounds cool it. It was, yeah very it existentialist was really fun. Yeah. I had a good time doing it um but yeah so pickpocket is you know I have kind of a funny relationship with it I'm like so grateful for it and I'm so impressed by it because it's really the part of it that's my work feels kind of like the least important part of it. Huh. Um, which, you know, that's only for my sake. 
I've looked at those pictures so much that they mean nothing. They're invisible. And just to see this kind of this community and this spirit and this big effort that it kind of inspired and gave us gave space for. Um, I don't know. I just I feel really, really lucky to have, have stumbled into that little arena. Well, you're it's art functioning in a great way. Yeah. You're too humble to say this, but. People went crazy over that book when it when it came out, and so obviously, uh, it connected with a, a ton of people. It's it's hard to to get your hands on a copy of it, but I'm glad that you mentioned 2020 because taking a quick detour from film, your video documentary, These Lights, that was so great, and it really showed what New York was like for that entire year from the first couple of months, everything being normal, and then you see during lockdown you're out in the city and there's like an empty midtown which is an impossible something out of vanilla sky you know when when tom cruise goes to Times square and it's empty but and then obviously in the summer george floyd is murdered and then there are demonstrations and protests and then on the heels of that we've got the 2020 election which is its own thing and then it wraps up in december so was that like a a preconceived thing of, okay, I'm going out to shoot this year. I mean, obviously you couldn't have predicted what would happen, but right. I'm going out to to document this and then I'll edit it into a, a long form documentary movie. You know, again, uh, I don't know if it's, it's good or bad. This is my continual answer, but it, it really, there was nothing calculated about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had I had been doing this project for a few years, which was really born out of cold weather. That you know, the year ends and it gets dark and it gets cold and it gets really hard to do work that's satisfying that makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Um, the city's so desolate and inaccessible, like and it is right now. Yeah, yeah. Like right now. <laughs> Like right now, I warn myself every November, I give myself a big public service announcement. Like, don't hold it against yourself. Your work is about to get bad. Um, But so, yeah, I mean, for years, years, maybe two or three years to combat that, that kind of that problem, I would uh, take all of my iPhone video from the year, which, you know, I collected almost like basically passively like it's never done with a project in mind okay. it's just like sometimes a thing is better caught on video than it is on a photo and so i would take you know use each month as a container an arbitrary container like take everything i shot in january and look at all of it and just play a game just try to collage it in a way that turns all this random disparate video into something kind of cohesive not quite narrative but like it makes sense um and it's a really fun game i really like doing it uh it takes a psychotic amount of attention i think you kind of have to be single to do it um (laughs) because it was you know like days on end awake and really psychotic attention um but i had done it for a few years and so, you know, I had in the back of my mind that, you know, I would just keep doing that. And I did it for 2020. And I did it, to begin with, I did it in the month-to-month way. Um, and then, you know, just once I had it all put together, 
you know, just had sort of a natural instinct that this was such a consequential year and such a storied year that, you know, maybe I should see what these all look like as one, okay. as one story, um, which required some tweaking. Like, you know, there's the pleasure of the game can sort of end up dictating the style of the video more than it should. Like, it, of like the editing game or the shooting game? The editing game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it rewards, in, in the small form, it rewards cleverness in a way that, uh, you know, I can't always stand by once it's done. Right, right, totally. So I went back through and kind of stripped away some of the cleverness. And, and I, you know, honestly, I still think it needs a lot more of that attention. Um, and I've looked, I've attempted a few times to, to like make an assignment of it. Um, I showed it at a gallery at some point, but in a way that was very hard to digest. Um, and I had an idea to revisit that, but then to like really put a lot of time and attention into kind of narrowing it down to its most muscular uh, parts. Um, and I, I don't know. I also have not been able to do those videos since. Oh, really? Because um, you think that like, at like the realization of the color, the putting it together to edit that like burned you out on it or like it like ended the process to the point that you were like now i'm not as into the capture no you realized all the work and didn't feel like you had to keep making the do the work i still would really i still really want to do it right i just have not for one thing i think the 2020 thing feeling unfinished maybe is an impediment to moving on um and then it's just I don't know, maybe an, an uptick in the demands of the world where I just haven't had the attention span. And, uh, you know, I, my girlfriend lives with me now. And to put that much time and, yeah. and energy yeah, yeah. <laughs> and focus into it is it's kind of like I would need to get a studio or... Yeah, other human beings don't like seeing us <laughs> when we work for two to three days yeah. straight. Well, and, and it's, it's scary to it's them. It's also not a great time to have a mirror in the room, like <laughs> reminding you that you're supposed to be a human being. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, sometimes you got to step out of it to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have that intention. I just haven't uh, found the space for it yet. I did, it. at the end of this year, I did go through and, and put everything in order to do it, but I, that's oh, as okay. far as I got. Yeah. Well, we, we loved it. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah I, I loved would it. suggest every listener to, yeah. to rent Dan Arnold's film. It's on YouTube. Uh, Vimeo. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. These lights. That's yeah. the name of it. Yeah. I have not been able it. to figure out how to take that paywall <laughs> off of it. I've been trying. Keep the paywall up. Yeah. yeah. It's ninety nine cents. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. For twenty four hour rental, which yeah. it's forty five minutes long. I think it's an hour. An hour. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I've watched it recently, and I I really love it. It's, no, I it really captures it New York in that year. It's a like, perfect yeah. like distillation of New York City during that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the noise in it's so important. It's right. all. I mean, so much of what gets me into that project is audio. Yeah, uh, it's so much about audio. When yeah. you were saying having to like balance it out or, or think about it, I was like, I wonder if you if you had to be like loud, soft, loud, soft, or like. <laughs> you know but you, it's cuz you can't like hit people over the head too much with too much noise or else yeah. they time out. Yeah. No, it's but your sympathy. Like, sympathy. Yeah. But it's 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 tricky because Vimeo, YouTube, the phone, none of these are good venues for something that has very specific right. meaningful audio. Um huh. you know, shot on an iPhone with no kind of 
wind blocking. Right, right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very crude operation. If you ever get like an installation space for it, you should try to get like an audio engineer to come and yeah, and maybe figure out how many speakers are going to be there and bounce that audio yeah, around the speakers. I need some professional help for sure. <laughs> well, going back to films, I remember this might have been like a year and a half ago or something, but you had an exhibition at Larry Gallery, and I remember a lot of the photos they seemed more like further away and more meditative and more removed. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that and it was different from, you know, the style you're most famous for. And I was wondering, was that premeditated or, or, I mean, from our conversation, it sounds like a lot of things aren't premeditated, but just that exhibit, I remember thinking, Oh, this is like a sort of more pulled back version of of what he does. Was that an edit of work from the book? Because because they also the Safty people did the gallery too, right? No. Oh, okay. They That's... weren't involved in that, but oh, there okay. was some. Cro- I mean, there were a few things that I had shot on sets with them. Mm. Uh, um, I mean, th- the way that one came together, I don't really remember exactly how it worked. My brother died in the middle of it. Oh sorry. man, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I mean, you know, I don't blame you. Um, so my attention just got yanked away. I mean, like, I think I was at his funeral when it opened, Hmm. um, that show. So that show was connected to, uh, they got a booth at, at, I think at Nada. Uh, and so my idea for that show was to do not a 2020 show, but a show that happens to take place in the world of 2020 and then to use that as incentive to rework these lights. Oh, okay. And to show that at NADA huh. because they had a theater and, um, and because my attention got so split and because the gallery was working with like a new advisor, they ended up, they ended up uh, kind of taking the reins and, you know, again, it was, they were working from a body of photos that I gave them. Right. Okay. So on some level, I'm responsible for the edit, but they really kind of took things in a different direction. And it was interesting because, you know, unsurprisingly, given how that played out, it was, it was, a, it was very frustrating. Like I didn't see the show until it had been up for a couple of weeks. Uh, I didn't love how it was presented. Um, you know, they mounted it on foam core. But, I don't know, I have this recurring experience with, you know, kind of like letting things find their own direction, where in the process, in the like endless neurotic digestion of something that makes me uncomfortable, I find my way around to appreciating it and seeing my work in a different way. Um, And once I had accepted that show for what it was and like come around to liking it I understood the, th- the thread to be these pictures that you know I, I hadn't had this terminology in my head before but like real pictures in fake worlds huh. like there was something in many of those pictures there was something that you know by like the psychotic ethics of street photography like didn't 
didn't really follow the rules mm. but like within that fabricated world it was a real moment it wasn't directed it wasn't constructed it just happened to be that you know something about it is manufactured okay but not by me right okay um <clears throat> and then there were photos that you know that were real photos in a real world but when placed in the context of those other ones they took on this kind of eerie cinematic kind of otherness um and once i figured that out then there was a whole new bout of frustration because i was like god damn it if i had articulated this to myself or if they had articulated to me i I have tons of this stuff i could have made such a better edit of it okay um but yeah that's how that came to be it was it i mean i i agree with you it felt different and i was i liked it for that Um, yeah and it, it did give me kind of a new filter, new vocabulary for self-assessment. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, so that gallery, and then back at the end of October at New York Life Gallery, you mm-hmm. had an exhibit. So this is something Steve and I talked about, which is how are photographs meant to be seen? Like the difference between seeing them, you know, either blown up or in a small size at an exhibit behind glass on a wall versus in a in a big book mm-hmm. do you have any like specific thoughts on that at all or i'm really I, conflicted about it yeah because well, the reality is most people are going to be seeing it on a screen yeah i mean most people are going to be seeing a photographer's work on a screen whether yeah. it's yours or robert frank's they're going to be seeing it on a, a phone or yeah. a computer yeah we can hear a emoji steven's dog drinking water in the background it's but very, um it's very thirsty but yeah uh, i was wondering you know you've done books now yeah. and then you've, you've had exhibits and then obviously there's a huge following of people that are experiencing it maybe only on the screen. So mm-hmm. do you have any strong thoughts about like how you'd prefer for people to really experience your work? Yeah, I mean, Stephen, did you, was there an interjection or are you just going to apologize for the lapping of the water? <laughs> yeah, I was just going <laughs> to. Okay. Um, well, well, look, uh, let me come at it from five different directions as, as I seem to be powerless against doing. Um, for one thing, I really, I thought that show was so well executed. I was so grateful to them for putting so much effort and, and investment into making that look like a proper show. And it's surprising and... Uh, it's just incredible to get to see things printed properly and printed large. I mean, there there are pictures in that show that have that are like known pictures of mine that I never appreciated and kind of thought that people being excited about them made the people meant the people were kind of dumb. <laughs> and then I saw the I saw them properly done, and I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. fucking crazy. How did I do that? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but. I do overall feel, I don't know what to do about this giant problem. I mean, I'm kind of always turning it over in the back of my head, like pictures on the wall, who cares? It's, yeah, it's so it's tough. boring. Yeah. Kind of anti-photography in a way. Yeah. It's not a screen you're holding in the back of your, in your hand or a photograph or. Yeah. It just, it kind of like turns it into decoration. Um, which is fine. I'm not against decoration, but you know, I guess when you are responsible for all the energy that goes into making that work, 
it's just kind of like a whimper of a, a celebration of it. Um, which is not to say that I'm not interested in doing it. I mean, I do right. still, it still feels like a great luxury. And I don't say that apologetically. Like, actually, it feels like, like, getting to go to some obscene spa to get to see huh. those pictures like sea <laughs> prints yeah done like 40 inches it's like a great luxury i wish i could see all of them that way it's an amazing realization of your of, of a photograph yeah yeah it's really exciting um i'm not against the screen i don't mind the screen i mean the phone at this point i find the phone the phone was very well suited for earlier work of mine. Um, and now I find that since I've strayed away from it and have stopped working kind of like in conversation with an Instagram audience, that the work I do now is not well suited for the phone. I mean, there are times when I can kind of fit it into that box, but I don't know. I just don't work with uh, as many exclamation points as I used to. Okay. Like things are, aren't as uh, aggressive or immediate or punchy. Um, so there's that. Um, I mean, it makes me think of a totally secondary external plot, which is that I saw recently this Vim Vendors documentary about Anselm Kiefer. Oh, I don't it know just came out. It. It's at IFC. It's 3D. Oh. And, you know, I don't, I never really looked at Anselm Kiefer's work before. I think that if I were to go to a gallery and see it, I probably wouldn't pay attention and would mean nothing to me. Um, but to see this kind of collaborative, uh, like, boundless cinematic collaboration on like how do we make a world out of your work um i mean everybody who i saw it with including me we all fell asleep it's (laughs) it's uh it's quiet and it's slow but just conceptually the way that they took this kind of static uh his his art and instead of just hanging it on a wall, they hung it in a world um, hmm. and engaged with it on this different level. I, I keep thinking about it. It's so yeah, inspiring. Yeah. Did you see the Wolfgang <laughs> Tillman show at MoMA? Yeah. What'd you think of that? It was kind of a so world. I so lucky with that show. I shot, I did a portrait of him for the Times. Nice. And so before it was done, I got to walk around in there with him. Ooh. And then I was so convinced that I'd done a bad job that I forced them to let me come back a second day and walked around with them again. Um, and, you know, honestly, I didn't have a ton of experience with his work. I, I wasn't, like, well-versed in it at all. Um, so, for one thing, it was an uh, incredible introduction. I mean, I walked into that show, and the first thing you see is, like, a picture, like a little four-by-six snapshot of a foot taped to the wall almost at the ground. Right. And from that, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> that's incredible. You get this, this giant obscene space at the MoMA, and the first thing you do is tape a foot on the wall down by the ground. Um, yeah, I, and yeah, and my experience of that was like not having uh, much of a vocabulary for what he was doing, or like not having much experience with his work. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that like 
greatest hits pleasure of like, oh, I get to see all this work that I love, you know, printed at, you know, I get to see it big, I get to see it in person, whatever. There was none of that, but there was like unmistakably like I'm I get to walk around in this guy's head. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, and that was that was super inspiring because yeah. I feel like some of his flat work is almost like departing from the usual photograph. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it'll be like a plexiglass box or like yeah, with like some brain teaser about relativity and time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we are now as far from World War II as we are from you know yeah. And there's like a installation where it felt like you were in like a German club with the music going and the the lights, but. Um, yeah, that was a, we both went to that exhibition. That was really interesting. Um, so going back, I, I was just wondering, you know, talking about exhibits and you've done books and, you know, you're mainly using the Leica now. Has all of that made you more meticulous about the type of lens you're choosing, a type of film, the way it's scanned, the way it's printed? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I guess... I have gotten particular about about printing. Okay. Uh, more particular. Um, just because having run the gamut from selling Adorama 4x6s on Instagram to right. like darkroom, giant darkroom prints. Yeah, I wonder about that. Do you do inkjets too? Do you have people print in the darkroom? Yeah, darkroom. Oh, shit, cool. Um, which is kind of an arbitrary choice. Like I, yeah. I probably couldn't tell you the difference between an inkjet print and a darkroom print. It's more sentimental. Yeah. Well, um, the digital C's and the regular C's are hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. I, I'm sure I couldn't tell the difference. I'm also colorblind, so that doesn't help anything. Um, but it's more, I mean, so much of it is just like sentimentality of process. It's like, I, you know, I have a relationship now with, um, picture house, small darkroom, uh, I go in that basement with those those geniuses and they treat my work like it's their work and I don't know there's just uh, maybe I'm falling for a trick but it just it just feels like a better sentimental match for the way that I work mm. um, but in terms of camera and and film I mean I think it's an extension of the fact that I would love to just have a closet of 15 pairs of all the same clothes right. and eat the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day and yeah. just like take care, leave all those out as variables and, and just work. Okay. Um, so, you know, I couldn't exactly tell you why I use Portra 400 it's, or why I ended up on a Leica M6. It's just kind of like environmental. It's just yeah. conversational. It's just like someone says, hey, you should try this. I have one, borrow it. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and it just ends up kind of disappearing into the background. I mean, I think that the what, we're, what I was saying before about the way uh, working on a commercial set goes for me is, is kind of uh, informative in a bigger way. It's like, so there's such a, a tiny, the tiniest part of it is, I mean, I don't know. I'm like getting lost in the thought, but <clears throat> the part of me that does the work is not, it, it's like totally divorced from technicality. It's almost divorced from thought. You know, if anything, I, I don't know if this is good or bad or if it's a cop out or if it's real, but my feeling has always been like, 
the more I can work unconsciously and involuntarily, like that feels like progress to me. I don't, I have just like talked myself out of any interest in intention, in craftsmanship. Um, like, you know, I want to, I want to have a beautiful exposure. I want to have things aligned how I want them in the frame, but I don't want to, you know, sit down at night and think like, what should I be after tomorrow? Where have I fallen short in the past? What should I be working on? What, you know, like who should I contact? What world should I infiltrate today? Uh, I don't know. I really, I wonder how much of it comes from laziness or insecurity, but it has become a, uh, you know, like a really reliable and, and kind of, uh, I don't know, invigorating style of working for me. It's yeah. like, it feels like mine because I, you know, obviously you can't fully escape environmental influence or, you know, talking to a certain world or wanting to succeed or whatever. But um, if anything has been intentional in the, at least in the past, like, five to ten years of finding my way to a place where I feel like I can work and be satisfied um, you know I would really be very open to going the opposite route at another time but for now uh, this thing about like making proof of what my brain did when I wasn't in charge of it is that's been kind of the most interesting thing to me Yeah. Um, and so so much of it in that regard becomes kind of automated okay um and really my my photographic education has been like just endless trial and error finding out how much i can do wrong and still get it right yeah yeah like so much more than learning a technique it's been like figuring out how this mysterious instrument like how much i can get it to accommodate me um I don't know. Is that making any sense? No, no. It, it makes sense because it, it seems like what's feeding the end result that, that people are excited about is your own sort of ritual and obsession that you can just keep doing it and then you're sort of turning your mind off while you're, you're doing it as opposed to being very calculating about it. Um, I, I do wonder, however, you know, you, you already have a, a very established style like when people see your photo they know it's you so i was wondering if you were thinking in the future about like just for a project or or something where you were doing working in the exact opposite way like for um whether that's maybe shooting medium format or large format Mm -hmm. or instead of walking around the streets you're out in nature shooting still lives or doing more like one-on-one portraits is that ever a thought where okay once i i get to the point where i feel like i've i've done it to the death where it comes to turning my brain off and and getting these great images i'd like to do x in a different way yeah well i wonder i mean it's it's interesting to have to hear it put that way that like like i wonder if it's true that my work is still immediately recognizably as mine because I don't really, I don't, I mean, I I keep it to myself 
so much. Oh, I see. And I do, th- I do wonder. I mean, I think it's to me, it still feels very much like mine. And that may be because I'm the editor more than it's because I'm the photographer. Um, but you know, I think I'm already in that process to some extent. I mean, I think that the that innovation of that idiotic innovation of finally starting to think about light. Yeah. And then okay. beyond that, starting to think about darkness and starting to, I mean, I guess, uh, finding that I have access to this kind of new language of, of something a little bit, I mean, God help me for saying painterly, but you know, it, it, it there, there is sort of like, uh, it's not what it used to be. It's different. It's, um, it's moodier. It's, I don't know. I wonder if it's recognizable as mine. I don't even, I, I don't know that I'll ever find out. Yeah. Well, your, um, your website, when to say nothing, which is it's when to say nothing.com. It's on Tumblr, mm-hmm. which we've talked about Tumblr and its relationship to promoting film photography in, in the 2010s. But like, I look at that work cause there's a lot of stuff that just isn't on Instagram. That's only on that site. Yeah. And then, uh, so I don't know how recent that is, but when I look at that, it's all just like, wow, how is he getting these images? And there's definitely a strong signature style with that. Yeah. And then, like I said, with going from that, which is clearly very personal work to, you know, Vogue's Met Gala, that also having like, you can tell, Oh, it's the same photographer in his same style. That's being able to do exactly what he wants to do that's what it looks like to me Mm -hmm. um within very commercial world so that's why i think of when it when i think of you having a very strong personal style but you're you're saying well right now funny enough i i upped i put something new up there maybe two days ago okay from the met gala oh okay okay (laughs) you really you walked right into it okay (laughs) yeah so but you were saying you have stuff where now you're thinking more about light and darkness and it's, it's moodier. So we all can't wait to see that. But well, the thing about when to say nothing that I think really uh, plays into what you're saying is that when to say nothing is a filter. When to say nothing was like this, a, a defining moment in, in that came long before like, like way back in writer times Okay, where, you know, I had this writer problem where I couldn't escape the temptation toward cleverness. Like I couldn't figure out how to get to the end of writing something without some instance of, of like, enjoy me. Yeah. (laughs) Look at my cute little brain. Like what would happen with the book a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And when to say nothing was like, I don't know. I, it was, I think I came up with it at a time when I had lost my camera and I couldn't take pictures and I was looking through what I had and when to say nothing, which I ripped off from Oscar Wilde. It's from uh, I think Portrait of an Artist of a Young Man. Said so it's like the full line is he knew the precise psychological moment when to say nothing. Um, so when to say nothing was like that's a that's a kind of picture, um, and and a way an early way for me to articulate to myself what my picture was. And so those pictures. I think hang together with a particular style because they, that's the intention They're Those are pictures of when to say nothing. Okay. Um, I have another website 
an un, unadvertised DanielArnold.com that's just a search bar. Um, I'd be curious to know if that one holds up to that test because it's just it's 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 a rude rude website. It's completely uh, kind of impenetrably just there. Okay. Just no instructions, nothing. Just right. a search bar, and you know, there's a database of thousands of pictures. You know, theoretically ongoing. If I can ever catch up, um, that are just you know meticulously tagged, and so whatever you search for, you know, if it's in the database, it gets dumped on the screen. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. I was wondering though. Um, so, there's a certain personality that you have to have in order to do the type of photography you do, especially in New York City, dealing with you know, all types of different people and, and different scenarios. And then on top of that, now that like you were saying, there's a story about you and, and you being recognizable, there's, you have to have a personality to, to deal with that. Um, is, was that something that was just always in you or something that you had to develop over time and, and transition and realize, all right, well, this is what my public life is going to be like um, from now on. I think it's pretty natural. Mm. I mean, it's it's funny. It's taken such weird turns. And I've been thinking about it a lot. Because, I mean, for a while, and I'm, you know, I'm not totally through this yet, but, like, it's a, it's a, there's something very unpleasant about experimenting in public with something that feels super personal that, you know, obviously I didn't invent street photography and would never claim such an insane thing. But like what I was doing wasn't like looking at street photography and thinking like, what's my modern spin? You know, I just, I did something that was very much of me, um, without any kind of roadmap. And I got super lucky and got to kind of bring that weird game of mine into the world of professional photography and, improvise through that and see what I could get away with. And again, no roadmap, just kind of like stumble through it. Mm -hmm. And it's a very strange experience that I'm not complaining about, but like it's, it's alienating and strange when that becomes like a working model for a whole bunch of new people. Okay. Um, and so that has been, I mean, I think of that because the natural personality of the first wave uh, runs into this strange new situation halfway through where like suddenly I'm surrounded by people who want to do what I'm doing and that's great 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 compliment obviously like a, a fantasy of mine in the beginning was like I can't possibly spend enough time or be enough places that I could get all the pictures that I want to like it'd be incredible to be able to like become a high school teacher and mobilize a bunch of weird kids to go out on this mission and see and and like in a way I kind of managed to do that um so that I don't know it's it's probably not interesting to anybody else but it's interesting to me to to see that that natural personality that dictated the the first part now dealing with the second part um because I think the instinct now is is to remove myself in a way um, and try to protect that whatever spark that was that made the first part happen. 
um, and not let it become convinced that like I did some special thing or like I'm, I'm some special guy. Like I need to stay the guy who started mm. it. Um, God, I always do this. I just completely lose track. No, no, you, track. you answered my, my two questions because, um, yeah, it, it, there's a certain personality type you have to have and eventually develop to do that type of work. And yeah. then, you know, it's kind of like, like acting. Someone might work on the craft of acting and they're incredible. And then they start doing movies and gain recognition. They're, they're like, Oh, I've got to deal with like, I, my whole thing was I wanted to be good at this. Now I have to deal with publicity and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily my thing. Well, and, and that, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting model to put it against because also yeah. The, I mean, famous people are very distracting. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting problem with movies that right. like the more successful a person becomes, the more you're like, Oh, that's them. Right. Yeah. I know about them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's a strange one to navigate. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that, I don't know. What is that personality? I mean, I think, uh, well, you don't have the Bruce Gilden personality. No. You're like the exact opposite, and yet you're able to still get these amazing raw images of New York that you have to have a lot of bravery to get. Um, so I think, in a way, it's kind of encouraging to people who are like, I, I can't do what Bruce Gilden does, yelling back at people who yell at me yeah. on the street. So I don't know if I could ever get those images, but with someone like you and then there are other people who do that type of photography where like it, it, it seems very loud, but the personality isn't a confrontational type. It's just, you have to be able to withstand or, or just kind of have a fearlessness in a way to, yeah. to do it. So yeah, I don't know that I, I mean, I definitely don't have fearlessness. Oh really? It, it seems I mean, like it from just looking at the images that you're, you're getting. No, he's writing the fear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the fear, like, the fear is is instrumental. I mean, I'm I will hazard saying something very corny that I have not thought all the way through, but <clears throat> I mean to go back to the addiction thing. I had a very interesting experience of addiction in the beginning, getting to know this new problem that I had, this new unignorable compulsion, and for a long time I was doing it in a very lonely way, and. I I don't know. I was sort of actively foregoing intimacy in my life, um, and I because you thought it was going to interrupt the process. No, just because like I guess actively is the wrong word. I was just like Keep, so. Not open to it. I had I had had a string of of bad relationships, mm-hmm. and and then I found this thing that totally set me free. Yeah. That like gave me new social cachet, gave me a new way of making money, let me move out of my bad apartment, and, and like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> no, okay. Okay, so uh, it's a crazy thought to try to, to, to resume because it's, it's, it's not, it's a very vulnerable uh, thought. But I had this recognition in that, in that sort of peak moment of addiction that it was it was like love replacement mm. that i could have the feeling of being in love alone and that was so i don't know such a valuable clarity in that time when it was what was happening um and then of course you know you get used to everything and and it doesn't scratch the itch the way it used to um 
But I do, I mean, we were talking about what, about like what your natural, how your natural personality contributes. And I do, I do think the longer I spend trying to maintain this, this little spark from the beginning, that a lot, it is a lot about love. Um, I mean, there's other ways to look at it. Like I went to Tokyo and I couldn't figure out Tokyo because I couldn't figure out what was funny in Tokyo. Everything is so precise and so perfect. And like, what do I, what do I laugh at here? Um, and I think that's a big part of it too, is like, uh, the, the fun of being in the world. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, without, without the flow of what you're saying, it's, it's hard to get to the end of it, but it's just interesting to think about. I mean, I think so much of the long game is you're like revealing yourself. Yeah. Um, you, you go beyond a place where you're like setting goals or, you know, like having a creative ambition and you're more just like in this long, like lifelong engagement with a thing that, that reveals you. Um, so I don't know. I feel like maybe that's, that's what it has revealed to me lately that the sustainable driving feeling of it is is in the family of love wow that there's looking you know i mean looking at my family looking at my my life at home and then also you know making the effort to look at this city where i have spent the past 20 years in a way that you know ideally keeps it feeling new and dynamic and uh, a little strange. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it, it's obvious that like you were saying, you're part of the, the work is you're revealing things about yourself and it, it comes from a warm place and you are learning about yourself and learning about the camera. But one of the things we talked about um, on the Martin Parr episode was it's so complicated shooting in public and, and getting all these types of images. Like, what do you say to people who have a very short sighted view of that and might say, Oh, this is exploitive or, or, you know, whatever you mean, uh, in the, in the like digestion of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, some of the most amazing images are maybe that person's in an awkward position or having a bad day or, or whatever it is. Yeah. But you know, you're just documenting it like you're documenting anything else. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's the amount of of time I have given to that question <laughs> is not backed up by people asking it. Okay. You know, like I I think I've spent so much time answering like answering that in advance in my right, head. Right, yeah. And the last few times I've done it, I've been like, why am I still answering this question? Nobody is asking me. So you're asking me, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate question. I mean, and you know, I don't have a flattering answer off the top of my head. The answer off the top of my head is like, <sighs> I, I shouldn't say it, but I like, maybe we, maybe we think life means a lot more than it really does. <laughs> uh, you know, if there is some uh like transgression in seeing somebody in public 
I don't know. Like, what are we talking about? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <clears throat> I don't think that I'm uh, going around putting spotlights on people who are having a bad time. I don't think that my pictures are even about individual people. It's it's a wider view. It's you know kind of like representational view um and you know if you say it in a sensitive culture it sound it does it sounds bad i'm like what telling telling i'm like revealing myself by documenting me looking at other people but like i don't know is but that, like is a, that but bad? like objectively describe portraiture and doesn't really sound that much great that much better either yeah I mean, like we're all gonna be gone, and is it is it such a such an offense to the world that there will be some proof of some vulnerability? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I'm not doing a good job. I'm not like muscularly approaching approaching this this. No, I know what you're saying. It's almost <coughs> as if maybe we're taking ourselves too seriously. If if yeah. someone's using such a big word like that to describe being photographed in public, especially in our age where there are cameras everywhere. In our age when there are cameras everywhere and where there is just like, just the most overwhelming omnipresent evidence that like we are just nothing. (laughs) Yeah. We are just disposable and to disappear. I mean, obviously, I feel the opposite, too. Obviously, and like, I love and honor people, and uh, I believe very compulsively strongly in doing what's right and in being good. Um, I don't know. I mean, a thing that I have thought in this, in this department before that I feel sort of satisfied by is that it's very easy to sit on the sidelines with your rule book and watch the world go by and point at everybody who's doing shit wrong. And, you know, or anytime it reminds you of something yeah. that could potentially be pointed out. Yeah. Proximity to wrong. Yeah. I mean, my grandparents were doing that way before the, <laughs> the zoomers. I've been seeing this shit in action forever. It's, it's a great tradition. Uh, and you know, say what you want to say about what I do. I spend a huge amount of my time going and finding out for myself in person. Like, yeah, you know, I spend a huge amount of my time looking at people in an open-minded, non-judgmental way. And, uh, in a way that forces me constantly to confront and refine my own ethics. And, uh, you know, if there was some, morality cop who was on my shoulder 24 hours a day probably they'd find a few times where they're like no that wasn't okay and uh you know i don't know what to tell you nobody would pass yeah, that but test. Uh, you know <clears throat> finding small negative things among a like every anyone who's taking photographs in the public space is going to have some sort of moral ethical yeah dilemmas present themselves yeah you know, yeah, and that's the, someone... the price of a, an examined life that isn't just about yourself. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, because 
the reason I ask is when people listen to this, they'll be able to tell that, as you said, you're a person who cares about doing right and is a warm person. You're not trying to provoke or anything yeah, but what, like but, that. But, so. but this is going to become a this yeah. is going to become a conversation on cancel culture, is what it's right, right, become. right. But like you know, screw <laughs> yeah. who cares? Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, make good art. Yeah, true. You know, don't hurt anybody. But sorry, yeah. I'm like overgeneralizing <laughs> things. But well, on, on a more positive note, it's so interesting that. You had early success and a following with digital, whether it's, you know, with the iPhone, and then you made a commitment to film. And a lot of times it's the exact opposite where someone, you know, in their early days, they start off doing film and then they eventually just transition to digital. So I was wondering, what is it about film photography that, you know, like you said, you made a big decision to quit your job and and really dedicate yourself to film photography that is expensive Mm -hmm. and you've stayed with it. So what is it about film photography that keeps you so committed to it? Well, I mean, it's tricky. It's so semantic. I mean, I have thought many times that digital photography should just have a a different, like a separate, a new name. Hmm. Obviously, the the camera looks the same, and it's the same principles, more or less, but it's it's just, it's a different thing. Um, and I don't feel like my, like, my commitment to film photography, yes, that's accurate, but I, I don't experience it as a sacrifice or as, like, a, a commitment to... Uh, a lesser or less convenient alternative. Um, I don't know. I guess like I didn't, I didn't feel the way taking digital pictures that I feel the way taking film pictures. I didn't get addicted to taking digital pictures. I didn't, um, I don't know. I think that, that like it, it looks like a stance retroactively, like looking back, it looks like it looks that way, but none of, none of those technical decisions are, are like in defiance of anything or, uh, with such loaded or meaningful intention. It's just like, that's just the, the language that I got hooked on. Um, and you know, you're right about the money. If there was a way to do it, no, I don't even know if that's true. Cause there's something about the the process with a digital camera that it just doesn't, I mean, we were, we were talking when the microphones were off about <clears throat> the pleasure of the difficulty of discovering music when we were kids before you could just have everything. Yeah. And as much as I do enjoy the world where I can have everything and as much as it informs other sicknesses, like you guys should see my bookshelf. I haven't read a book in I, like my phone pro- forbids me, prevents me <laughs> from being able to read a book, but it has not stopped me from buying them almost every day. Um, that, that, that kind of floodgate opening of like, you can have everything is, you know, it's powerful. And, uh, and I think that like, this is, this is a place where being limited has, 
has served me better than having everything. I mean, I could definitely, like, if you put a digital camera in my, if you took my camera away and put a digital camera in my hand and kicked me out the door, I'm sure I could go a long time taking thousands of pictures a day. Um, but I'm not restrained on my camera because of budget or because, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a different mentality. There are things in, in a way that is, has nothing to do with money that just like are not worth documenting in that way. You know, I use my phone still for that kind of thing. Like just passing. Oh, that's funny. I should remember that. Um, I, there was a thing today. I saw someone had written on a street sign something like paralegals eat balls. <laughs> what? <laughs> why does that? Why is that in the world? It's so specific. Do you, do you think a lawyer wrote that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about that profession to speculate. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I guess there's there's some psychology that I have not bothered to unravel. I mean, maybe it's about like elevating uh, the 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 overlooked world to a place that uh, expresses the value that I find in it. Um, I don't know. I think that those those questions, um, so far not having answers to those questions has not gotten in the way of my, uh, my desire to keep working. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like, Maybe it just doesn't matter that much to me. I mean, there are other things that I that I'm much more eager to ponder. I mean, I don't mean this as a snobby rejection of the question at all. Uh, I I think it's totally valid and interesting, but I just uh, it's just never been a question for me. I didn't like look at both cameras, and well, I guess I sort of did, <clears throat> but it wasn't in such a thoughtful way. It was like I had my Hewlett Packard. I had my series of Canons, which eventually got to the prestigious 5D. Um, and, you know, I liked fooling around with those cameras. I They captured my attention, my curiosity. But it wasn't until I took that back step onto that Yashica that I started to feel this, like, romantic attachment to what I was doing. And... Uh, you know, I mean, why do I dress like a construction worker? It's like... You, well, actually, I that's think, the star right now. So. <laughs> well, but I, it's been a long time, you know. And I, aside from the fact that it, it makes me kind of invisible um, on the street, it's like, I think as you get older, or at least as I get older, I find that rather than using expression to signal your tribe or to uh aspire to fit in in places where you don't um you know i think it becomes a purer and purer expression of your internal life um you know i dress and i behave how i feel and i think that the i don't know for whatever reason those film pictures are uh they express better 
how I feel. Maybe it's that like when we were kids, the language of of that like elevated magical world of a, of a movie was always on film, and uh, I don't know. And it's not it's not like a limiting a limiting. It doesn't limit my appreciation of other people. Like we were talking about that Wolfgang Tillman's, like what that guy is able to do with an unmanipulated digital image, I think is super moving. Um, but it's just not my language. Thank you.